1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA, member FDIC.
2: Hello, hello, and welcome along to another edition of Attaboy Boy Clarence. How are you? Still keeping well and sane, I hope? Well, this won't do your sanity a bit of good. Oh-ho!
1: So you're the lady who stacked the breakfast dishes this morning and sneaked out of the house to do your Christmas shopping. You got me, yes. I think the tartan dress and white muffler was a dead giveaway. I'll bet you were sorry when you came home all worn out if you still had to do them with a lazy old-style soap.
2: Nothing worse than
1: lazy soap. Well, look, tomorrow, let's do it differently, huh? First off, get the new anti-sneeze Rinso.
2: Anti-Sneeze soap? Was this really a problem that needed solving in 1941?
1: You won't want to stack your dishes then. Those rich, hard-working Rinso suds will have everything sparkling clean in a jiffy. Even the pan you fried country sausages in.
2: God, even that
1: pan. Rinso doesn't make your hands rough and red either. And you'll be glad to know it costs less than a cent a day to wash dishes with
2: rinse oil. Amazing, thank you. You're welcome, ma'am. What's with the mam stuff? It's the hips, right? Well, screw that, guy, and come on in. I've got two super intriguing movies to tell you about, a glossy pile of radio thriller goodness coming your way, plus this fabulous musical number to soothe your soul. Take it away, Perry Como.
3: Some enchanted evening. You may see a stranger You may see a stranger Across a crowded room And somehow you know You know even then That somewhere you'll see her again and again Some enchanted evening Someone may be laughing You may hear her laughing Across the crowded room And night after night As strange as it seems The sound of her laughter will sing Who can explain it Who can tell you why Fools give you reasons Wise men never try Some enchanted evening When you find your true love When you feel her call you Across a crowded room Then fly to her side And make her your own Or all through your life you May dream of
2: Maybe you have a question. Well, throw it into the question pot. Strangely, there is no next line. Well, maybe I'll read your question. Out on this show, or maybe not. Now, here's someone with a handbell. A dive into the question pot today. Yes, it's been slowly filling to the brim over the past few weeks. So, in we go. The first query is from Maureen, who sent a bit of a baffler in. It says simply... How old is Randolph Scott? I mean, I hate to break it to you, Maureen, but Randolph Scott's dead, you know. He died 33 years ago. He was 89 when he died. I don't know if that helps. R.I.P. Randy. Have a Canterbury anyway. Canterbury. On to one from Larry from Boston who writes, If I join for $1 a month, do I get access to the other chapters of the Hollywood stories? I'm very interested in those of Sherlock Holmes. And by the way, from which sources did you get the information to write such detailed recreations of Val Luton's Conversations? Larry from Boston, I assume you're talking about the Patreon. And yes, sign up for as little as $1 a month and you get access to all of those. As for sources on conversations in the Secret History of Hollywood episodes, it's important to note that I'm not making documentaries... I'm making biopics. They dramatise the accounts of people's lives, and so I do use a little bit of artistic licence from time to time. That said, I don't invent the fact that people had conversations. I know that conversations between certain people happened, and I know when they happened, and I know what the outcome was. And so what I do is I dramatise those conversations. They definitely happened, but they're not recorded word for word. But if the outcome was that Val Luton was given a project called Youth Runs Wild, for instance, and that he wasn't happy about it then I can use my imagination to recreate that conversation based on what I know about each participant's personality, so long as the outcome sticks to the facts. It's a tough job sometimes and requires a hell of a lot of research, but it works well in bringing these people to life and giving them more of a personality. That said, there are instances in which conversations are recorded word for word, which is even more helpful in working out how people sounded when they talked. It's complicated, I know, but do trust me when I say that I follow the facts as closely as possible, which is why the research and writing of these things takes such a long time. It's difficult to resurrect the dead, believe it or not. Canterbury to you, sir. Canterbury. Last one here is from Marianne and asks Can you sing the question pot song? Well, the answer is yes. Technically, I can. (laughs) But I think once per show is quite enough for anyone. Why would you want a live version of it? Are you some kind of sadist? I'll sing it for you. Oh, great. Where have you been hiding, Suki? I only come out these days where there's an actual reason to do such a thing, such as singing a song badly. And barking at the delivery driver. And barking at the delivery Hey, I'm actually serving a very important purpose, I am. How else will they know that they have the right address? It's written on the label. That's very naive thinking, that is. Anyway, take it away. Maybe you have some questions. We'll throw them into the rubbish bin, cos here is a better pot for them. Hold on. Bark! 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 Amazon's here. Thank goodness. Sorry, Marianne. Have a Canterbury instead. Canterbury. And remember, if you have a question and you want the thing answered, fling it into the question pot by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and scrolling down the homepage. Marianne, this bit's for you. So throw your flipping questions into the shiny question pot. You might hear your question next time. So until then, get your thinky cap on for the question pot. Okay, that's the end. A visit from a mystery guest now. Yes, it's that time again when you get to use your wits to see if you can work out the identity of the famous Golden Age star from the clues in their voice. I'm a big fan of today's stars. I've often made clear on this very podcast, but let's see if you can work it out as we play Who the Hell Is That Hollywood Legend?
4: Our mystery challenger. We go to a different form of questioning. You will ask one question at a time, in turn, moving clockwise, and we'll begin with Dorothy Kilgallen.
5: Are you in the movies?
4: Yes. Mister. Sir. Yes,
6: sir. Uh, are you uh, liberally sprinkled with stardust in the movies?
0: I don't understand you.
6: Well, are you a star? Does your name go up in lights over the marquee when a picture that you're in is playing?
4: Sometimes.
7: Miss Francis, I think the answer to that is yes. Miss Francis? Uh,
4: are you here for the opening of a picture? No.
8: One down and nine to go, Mr. Kovacs. Are you carnivorous?
9: <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Just a moment. Are you blonde? I
5: mean at the moment, of course. Beg well, pardon? I mean now, to the naked eye. What, carnivorous? animal. No, no, blonde.
9: <laughs>
8: All right, Mr. Gilgana, will you repeat your question?
10: Is our guest at the moment blonde?
8: No. No. Two down and eight to go, Mr. Surf. Have you ever
6: decorated the legitimate stage as well as motion pictures?
8: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yes. Yes. Miss Francis? Do you do anything besides act? I mean, do you sing? No. Three down and seven to go, Mr. Kovacs. Um, I... You, I'm going to take a guess. You're not Howard L. Koznofsky, are you?
9: <laughs> <laughs> One day
8: Howard's going to show up on this program, and I've got him. Uh, did, did you do, uh, as opposed to another kind, of, let's say, uh, musicals, musical pictures? No. That makes it four down and six to go, Miss Kilgallen.
10: Are you primarily a dramatic actress, then?
4: Yes. Mr. Sir. Are
6: you at present, or have you been within the last two years in a show on
8: Broadway? No. Five no? down and five to go, Miss Francis. Do you appear in
1: television? Mm-hmm. Sometimes.
8: Mr. Kovacs? Did you at any time, no, did you at, at any time do a very, uh, I guess it would be called a mystery, a very famous mystery picture? It was, it, it was not, not the Charlie Chan bit, yeah, but I mean, yeah. you did? Yes? Miss Kilgallen?
10: Thank you, Ernie, for the hint, but I don't get it. Um, was it a picture that became a series of pictures?
4: No. Six down and four to oh. go, Mr. Surf. I don't recognize
6: the hint that Ernie made, so I'm going to have to go back. Were you on the stage within the last
8: six years? No. No? Seven down and three to go, Miss Francis.
1: I wish Ernie hadn't said that. All I can think of is Myrna Loy.
8: Um, I've thought of her at times.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pass to Ernie. Maybe he knows what.
8: Did it. you do a picture? Uh, wait for this. Arlene, did you pass? Huh? I
4: passed because I can only think of Myrna Loy at this moment. She's going back and forth in front of my eyes. You too? Mr.
8: <laughs> Kovac? Did you do a picture, the title of which became and was, uh, was at that time a, a great song
2: and became a very famous song yeah and we'll halt things right there i think you have a crucial clue now that could lead you to the star's identity but we'll find out for sure later on in the show let's get on to some movies then high gloss first of all from director vincenti Minelli. now Minelli is best known of course for his rather more lavish Spectacles such as Gigi or An American in Paris. But what's interesting about his career is that he also switched between genres as well as the scale of his projects with complete ease. Now, Minnelli is the subject of the latest episode of Blueprints, which is just about to come out for patrons, so if you want something a little more detailed, then do go and check that out. The film of his I'd like to tell you about today still retains that Minnelli gloss, but marries it with film noir. 1946 is undercover, Current, starring Catherine Hepburn, Robert Taylor, and Robert
8: Mitchum. And look here. What? Nothing yet. A little alcohol, caustic acid. Now change the formula. A little. Just a drop. Yeah. <laughs> no nonsense now. That's tetradite.
11: What of it? What's that got to
8: do with me? Well, love is a chemical formula like anything else. I recognise the formula.
11: That's a very romantic conception, Dink, for a scientist. You're as bad as Joe Bangs with his spark.
8: Don't fight, my dear. Nothing can stop it now. You're foaming, my dear.
11: I'm not foaming. More
8: than you think. Now pour you into a tube. Let's call it a church. Now change the formula. Just a drop. Just a drop of religious ceremony. The world changes.
11: Nonsense.
8: Is that what you'll say a few weeks from now? When the chemist of heaven in a long black robe asks you... To have and to hold from this day forward. For better or worse.
4: Or richer, or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do you part. I will. I now pronounce you man and wife.
2: The story here is of newlywed Anne Hamilton, played by Catherine Hepburn, who's married industry magnate Alan Garraway, played by Robert Taylor. All seems to be going well until the day that Anne discovers that Alan's been hiding something from her. Alan apparently has a brother, Michael, that, for some reason, he's keen to forget.
12: Mike must have thought I was an imbecile to do it the way he did. It's just like putting your hand on a cash register, just like that.
11: He was stealing from you, your own
9: brother?
12: Yes, my own brother. I drove out to see him. I don't think I'll ever forget that night. Mike had a big party going on at the ranch. He was pretty drunk. When I told him, he didn't even bother to argue with me. He told me to get out go back to playing with my little flight control he said i'd never do anything about him not while not while mother was alive
2: deciding that there's obviously more to this small mystery than her husband is telling her and decides to do a little snooping into the mysterious michael and it isn't long before she comes to suspect that there's a dark secret lurking at the heart of the garraway family
12: ask your husband will you mrs garraway lots of us would like to know what happened at that last meeting What kind of a fight was it? And what happened to Mike Garroway?
2: It's an intriguing enough story, although I'm not sure it required almost two hours to tell it. This is the kind of thing that Universal and RKO were making in like 70 minutes. MGM obviously decided that this was some kind of star vehicle though and threw the kitchen sink at it. I think MGM were going for some kind of Hitchcock thriller, but it's just not tight enough. It's far too baggy and it really takes a bit too long to get going. The other issue I had with it is that Catherine Hepburn is not the right actress for this. She's far too helpless a character, and you don't get Catherine Hepburn for those kinds of roles. You get a B-grade starlet when you need someone to simper at the feet of their lover and swan dreamily from room to room, falling in love with poetry and swooning at phone calls and things. Honestly, there are several moments in this where I fully expected her to get up out of her chair and smack the sense into someone, or Punched the villain in the nose and call the cops, but she backs down. In that regard, it's almost difficult to understand why she chose to play in this thing. On to the good stuff though, amid all the agonising, the mystery is very well handled and reveals itself in natural snatches, which I liked. Sometimes you can get a sense that a writer is feeding you clues instead of a character. There are no mysteriously discarded notes or fragments of parchment in a fireplace here, so that's good. Hepburn pieces together that something is wrong because of conflicting information and her gut instinct, so bravo for that. Robert Taylor is good even though he's hardly in it. Yes, oddly, second build as he is. He only pops up a couple of times. Same for Mitchum. I have to say, I think Mitchum is the standout Robert in this, but of course he would be. I just wish he had a bit more to do. Edmund Gwen and Marjorie Maine are both wonderful in supporting roles, but again, hardly in it. The bulk of this film is Hepburn wandering through the mystery on her own. The last half hour, I have to say, is well worth the wait I can't tell you what happens, but it's a genuinely tense set of scenes that definitely do belong in a Hitchcock movie. And the villain gets his comeuppance in a very gruesome way, so you do feel paid off at least. All in all, I do recommend it. I have a real thing for mid to late 40s noir dramas, especially if they pile on the gloss and the camp, as they do here. The shortcomings are very easy to overlook when they're delivered in such style. Undercurrent is very fun, if not that efficient and suffers a little from some odd casting, but you certainly won't walk away disappointed. Check it out. From the shadows of noir to something altogether much darker now, a very hard film to categorise. Is it a thriller? Is it a drama? Is it a horror? Yes, yes, and yes, it's all of those things and more threaded together with a remarkable macabre central performance that'll have you squirming through your popcorn. We're off to blighty for 1948's Daughter of Darkness, one of the most intriguing and chilling films I've seen in a very long time, starring Siobhan McKenna, Anne Crawford, Maxwell Reed, and Honor Blackman. You're gonna love this one. Here's a clip. Scandal, I am it is! Not a
13: foot will I set in the church till that creature's gone. Saints it's pretentious. It'll be the hair i
3: will have on the hussy. There she sits, pure as a lily, the devil himself in her eyes. Oh, you're a dark one, young
13: miss. A dark one and a strange one. Throw her out. Get rid of her. It's nothing like the dark one we want amongst us. Drive her out of the village. Yes, the priest himself should be told to send her away. At high time too. Or we'll do the sending for her with not a stitch on our back.
2: We begin our tale in a small Irish town where the local priest, Father Cochran, has taken in a beautiful young girl, Emmy played by Siobhan McKenna, to be his helper. The men of the town are all infatuated with her, but the women of the town all sense that something is most definitely wrong with her. We've
13: been asked by the women of the village, Father, to speak to you. We're not going to let our parish be upset by a girl the like that. She's... She's what? Well, Father, she's a bad influence. She's young, I know. But the men... <gasps> the men? Well, Father, you know what men are. Being unmarried myself, fortunately. It's no concern of mine, one way or the other. Emmy is peculiar, very peculiar. The women see something in her father that's not. not modest.
2: One night, when a carnival arrives in town, Emmy finds herself accosted by roughneck prize fighter Dan, played by Maxwell Reed, with the craziest eyebrows I've ever seen, who tries to seduce her and is rewarded for doing so. By Emmy's fingernails, which tear his face open. You
8: know, there's something about you, Emmy.
2: Don't know what it is,
8: but it kinda, it kinda gets me. It's all, honest, Emmy, I mean it. Yes, I know it's what they say all the girls, but sure as I'm here, it's true. Yes, you've got something on
3: Emmy, Emmy! Emmy!
2: Under pressure from his parishioners to get rid of Emmy, Father Corcoran ships her off to a working farm in the north of England where her strange spell seems to have the same enchanting effect upon the boys there and the same repulsion effect on the women
13: there. You're by way of being a bit of a flirt, aren't you? You shouldn't say that. Well, I do say it. You needn't look so pious. Butter wouldn't melt in your mouth, I know. Well, you don't bring those habits to this farm. It's terrible, the things you say. I'm not a bad girl. What made you leave your village in Ireland? Father Cockney. I want to know why. Tell me. He wrote to you for me to come here. They didn't like you, did they? They didn't, did they? Why? Why?
2: And then, one day, the carnival arrives in town, and along with it, a now heavily scarred Dan, who's seeking revenge against the girl who cost him his face. Might seem like I've just described most of the film to you. I assure you that all I've done is set the scene for one of the darkest films I've seen in a long time. Make no mistake, this story marches bravely into some very uncomfortable territory. The question of instinctual attraction or repulsion comes into the plot quite a bit, and it's an interesting concept to explore in a film. We've all had those feelings, haven't we, when we meet someone and we find ourselves either very taken with them or strangely cautious of them, and we can't explain why. Well, the writers of this movie do a grand job of exploring this feeling.
13: But there are some things you can't explain. I've felt a sense of horror ever since you came to this house. I won't believe you're as naive as all this. I believe you're rotten. Rotten, am I? I may only be a servant, but no one ever talked to me like that. Maybe you're jealous.
9: Get out of here!
2: The women of the film all seem to have their hackles raised by Emmy, but why? What is the primal outcry that's causing it? Is it their own jealousy at Emmy's strangely bewitching nature? Or is it something deeper that's crying out in alarm? And what about her effect on the men? At one point or another, they all seem to give in to their lustful sides, but why? How come Emmy is the one who brings that out in them? It's anchored by a quite simply stunning performance by Siobhan McKenna, who really taps into something both uncomfortable and beguiling. I don't think I'm giving anything away, you've read the title, by telling you that Emmy is the villain of the piece, but it's incredibly interesting to see how she arrives at that character, how much of it is her own inherent nature, and how much of it is brought on by the people around her. It begins as a drama, it plays out like a thriller, and it ends as something quite horrific. It's quite unique, almost unbearable at times, certainly one of the bravest movies I've seen from this period, and absolutely unforgettable. If you haven't seen it, search out Daughter of Darkness from 1948. Just be prepared to spend an hour and a half with your goosebumps raised. Radio entertainment this week comes from the Lux Radio Theatre, who in 1947 staged a very fine audio adaptation of Undercurrent, featuring original stars Catherine Hepburn and Robert Taylor. So we'll go on over to that. Yes, we will. And I'll see you afterwards. Lux presents
14: Hollywood. (laughs) Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Flakes... Bring you the Lux Radio Theater, starring Catherine Hepburn and Robert Taylor in Undercurrent. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley.
6: Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. From time to time as we pass each other on the narrow drive that leads to our respective homes, I scrape fenders with one of my most charming neighbors. Catherine Hepburn. But in spite of our frequent and more friendly contacts, I found Catherine very difficult to lure before a microphone. Her radio appearances are rare indeed, so that it's something of a triumph to present her here tonight, co-starred with another of Hollywood's outstanding stars, Robert Taylor, in his first screen role since serving with the Navy Air Corps. Together, Bob and Catherine bring you Metro-Golden-Mare's thrilling screen hit, Undercurrent. Last Monday night, when we announced tonight's screenplay and stars, the audience response was, uh, to say the least, terrific. And I might say that the same is true of audience reaction when it comes to Lux Flakes. Hundreds of listeners who've used Lux Flakes to care for precious fabrics have written us their appreciation. I only wish I had time to answer them in person. But I'm sure that the help which Lux Flakes offer is an answer in itself... And your loyalty to our product enables us to bring you such exciting fare as Undercurrent, with such brilliant stars as Catherine Hepburn and Robert Taylor. They appear, respectively, as Anne Hamilton and Alan Garraway, as the curtain rises on our first act. It was a marriage no one ever would have predicted. Anne Hamilton, reserved, unaspiring, and Alan Garroway, the wealthy, celebrated inventor of the Garroway distance control. Garroway brought his bride to Washington. Their first night there, he displayed her before a large, select group of friends. When the friends had departed... Oh! Anne, darling, what is it?
11: I thought they'd never go, Alan. Oh, you shouldn't have. You shouldn't have. What,
6: darling? I shouldn't have what? You shouldn't have
11: married me. Your friends (laughs) asked them. They know it was a mistake. Anne, please. Darling, I can't help it. I didn't even know what they were talking about. They were laughing at me, Alan. I know they were. But I was proud of you. Alan, I was so lost among them. What must they have thought? I mean, well, good grief. I don't even know how to dress. Is
12: that all that's worrying you? I'm
11: going to take this dress off and never see it again. darling,
12: it's a perfectly nice dress. Nice
11: dress. It's eight inches too short, and it's only two weeks old. (laughs) Alan, you're stuck with a wife who doesn't know how to dress. She doesn't even know how to behave.
12: We'll go shopping tomorrow, darling.
11: It won't do any good. By
12: tomorrow night, you'll be the best-dressed woman in Washington. You're already the loveliest.
11: Oh, I'm... I'm sorry to be such a boob, but I want so much to be right for you.
12: Will you shut up?
11: I'll learn. I really will. I'll learn to talk like your friends. I'll learn to be like them. I don't know how the heck I'll do it, but I'll do it.
12: (laughs) If you do, I'll kill you. Darling, just tell me one thing. Who do you belong to? You. That's all. That's all that matters.
11: Is it, Alan? Is it? Mm-hmm.
12: And if you ever forget that, you'll be very sorry.
5: Now, if Madame does not mind waiting, I will arrange to have some hats modeled for her right away.
12: Well, darling? Of
11: course, I just don't believe any part of this. A mink <laughs> coat, a beaver jacket, 14 gowns, 12 pair of shoes. Relax, will you? If I relax, I'll drop dead. <laughs> Oh, Alan, how could you have let me wear that brown horror last night? I'm in
12: love with you, darling. I didn't even notice.
11: But you must have. Darling, don't be afraid of hurting me. I don't know much about these things.
0: Alan Garroway, is that you, Alan?
12: Oh, hello, Mrs. Foster. Uh, Anne, this is a neighbor of ours from Virginia, an old friend of my mother's. Mrs. Foster, my wife.
0: How do you do? I'm delighted to meet you, my dear. When are you coming down to Middleburg?
12: Well, if business eases up next month, I hope.
0: Well, Alan, she looks like a fine, honest girl. You uh, ride, of course. I'm afraid I'm not very good at it. We're raised on horses at Middleburg, aren't we, Alan? Oh, definitely. Alan's not a bad rider, my dear, but his brother Michael's the boy with the light hands. Now, there's a real horseman. By the way, Alan, how is Michael?
12: Michael is always Michael. I I hope you'll excuse us, Mrs. Foster. We were just going to... Of
0: course. I'm late for an appointment myself. I'll be looking for you in Middleburg, my dear.
11: Goodbye, Mrs. Foster. Alan, she's nice. You didn't tell me you had a brother.
12: Well, I haven't had time to tell you a lot of things, darling. You, uh, you pick out your hats, and I'll wait out front and get some air.
9: But I, I won't...
11: Alan, what's wrong, darling? You've seemed so troubled since we came back from shopping.
12: You were surprised to learn I have a brother.
11: But what a nice surprise. Where is he, Alan?
12: Spoiled my first day alone with you. So typical. Good old Mike. I, I meant to tell you about him, man. I've been putting it off. But one of these days, we'll have to go to San Francisco. Our factory's there. And you'll meet people who know Mike, who adore him. He does that to people. My mother adored him. He was her favorite. Alan,
11: please, if you would When him, my I... father
12: died, uh, Mike and I took over the business. I was the engineer. That's when I started working on my distance control. We'd been making plenty of money when suddenly we began to run out of funds first, I couldn't figure out why. Mike must have thought I was an imbecile to do it the way he did. It was just like putting his hand in the cash register.
11: He was stealing from you, your own brother?
12: Yes. Mike had bought a ranch in the country. He'd spend a lot of time there. Liked to give parties. Anyway, I, I drove out to see him. Fortunately, he was alone. When I told him what I'd found out, he said that I'd never do anything about it. Not while Mother was alive. And I didn't. Mother was an invalid. She died the next spring.
11: Please don't, Alan.
12: Well, there's not much more to tell. After she died, Mike just disappeared. Last I was heard, he was in the army. That was over three years ago.
11: He disappeared because he was afraid of what you might do to him.
12: Well, maybe, but Mike's not afraid of me. I keep thinking he's alive somewhere and hating me the way he must. I even felt I didn't have the right to marry you.
11: Don't say that, Alan. He can't hurt us if we never let him come between us.
12: Why should he? What's Mike got to do with us? Nothing, Alan, nothing. So we'll never think about him or speak about him again.
11: But if anything ever does come up, you'll tell me, Alan. You'll let me know.
12: Nothing ever will.
11: Darling, I'm so deeply sorry for you. But I'm glad you've told me because it means you're not as sure of yourself as I thought you were. You need me even if it's only to help you forget.
12: Yes, I do need you, Anne.
11: You may have a no-good brother, but you're going to have an awful good wife. I'm so grateful to you for so many things. It's as though you'd led me by the hand into a strange and wonderful world. A world to dream of.
12: Why dream? You're here, Anne. You're mine. And I love you.
9: Well, good
11: afternoon, Mrs. Garraway. Did you have a nice afternoon shopping? Oh, yes, Mrs. Hildebrand. Any messages? No messages, madam. That means all your invitations for tonight have been accepted. Mrs. Hildebrand, I don't know what I'd do without you. The perfect housekeeper. How many dinner parties have we given this month? Is it 210 or 211? This is your sixth, madam. Oh, I beg your pardon. Would you mind
10: looking at the table? I took the liberty of arranging the place cards.
11: You know, you know, a strange thing happened this afternoon at a bookshop. Mr. Galloway left a book there months ago to be rebound. He must have forgotten all about it. It's a volume of English poems. I'm glad I found it. Yes, madam. Oh, you'll notice I put Judge Putnam on your right. What? Oh, oh, yes. And who's this one, Mrs. Hildebrand? Who is Mr. Henry Gilson? A new congressman from the Midwest, madam. I wondered why you'd placed him in the doorway. He's no one important, Mrs. Garraway. Ah, that explains it. If that is all, madam, I'd better see to the order. Sorry, Henry Gilson, you're just not important, poor guy. We have something in common, you and I. Now, me, I think you are important. Henry, you and Mr. Justice Putnam are changing places. There. Now, tell me, Congressman Gilson, just what part of the Midwest do you come from? Just what part of the Midwest do you come from?
3: Iowa. Oh,
11: I love Iowa. So big and full of corn, isn't it?
3: Yes, ma'am. Yes, it certainly is.
11: Excuse me a moment. Shall we go into the other room for coffee?
13: <clears throat> it was such a lovely dinner, Mrs. Galloway. Thank you, Mrs.
11: Postle. Oh, my chérie, your gown!
13: What exquisite taste you have!
11: Thank you, Madame Lefebvre.
12: Oh, Anne, just a minute.
11: Thank you, Mr. Galloway. Oh. <laughs> yes, darling, what? Anne,
12: are you trying to be rude to Judge Putnam? Why on earth did you seat him practically in the doorway?
11: I thought the draft might do him good. He seemed so stuffy. Well,
12: I invited him here for a reason. You know that.
11: Oh, I'm sorry, darling. I don't know what got into me. I'll make it up to him right away. <laughs>
4: I believe your wife's bewitched me, Carraway. Why, I haven't talked so much about myself in years. Please don't stop now, Judge Putnam.
11: Not when you're telling us about your home. Charleston must be beautiful at this time of year.
4: It is, but I won't see it. Sometimes I feel it really belongs to the people who take care of it, much more than it does to me. That's a very generous attitude, sir.
11: Not only generous, I think, but wise. My father always says how foolish we are to think that we ever really possess anything in life. What do you mean, Ann? Well, I think Judge Putnam understands. No one ever really owns anything. All we have is a temporary use of it. It just isn't true to say, my this and my that.
12: Not even my wife?
11: Oh, hey, <laughs> that's different. No, but, but you know, I've read something today which says what I mean better than anything I've ever heard. I'm ashamed to say I memorized it.
4: I'd love to hear it, my dear.
11: Well, I found it in an old book of poems. This particular poem was marked, and I thought to myself, the man who marked this poem is someone I understand and who understands me. Remember it, Alan? Remember what? My house, I say. But hark to the sunny doves that make my roof the arena of their loves. Our house, they say. And mine, the cat declares and spreads his golden fleece upon the chairs. And mine, the dog. And rises stiff with wrath if any alien foot profane the path.
4: It's charming, Mrs. Galloway.
11: <laughs> well, <laughs> I may have left out a line or two, but that's the general idea.
12: Anne, I, I think Dr. Fort would like another brandy.
11: Hmm? Oh, of course. <laughs> you see, Judge Putnam, poetry is one of Alan's hidden vices. Excuse me.
4: It's a wonderful girl, Garroway. <laughs> yes, yes, she is. I'm a very
12: lucky man. <laughs>
11: It was a nice party, wasn't it?
12: Yes, it went beautifully. Anne, uh, how about driving down to Middleburg tomorrow for a few days?
11: Alan, could we? The house where you were born, the house where you grew up. Well,
12: we can get an early start. Oh, probably... Alan,
11: here's your book. Book? The book the poem came from. Well, that's not my book. But it is, darling. You sent it in to be rebound, remember?
12: I'm afraid it's a mistake.
11: But they had the name Galloway, Middleburg, Virginia. No, it's a mistake.
12: We'll, uh, we'll leave right after breakfast. Maybe a little isolated for you down there, darling. No telephone.
11: No telephone. <laughs> Sounds like heaven. Alan, will you hate being cooped up with me for days?
12: Give me a kiss and then tell me why you ask that.
11: Because I love you. And I can't help noticing when we're alone how a lot of the glow you have with people sort of goes out of you.
12: And what's the matter?
11: Oh... Oh, I don't know nothing. I just want to be reassured. I guess. I'll
12: well, consider yourself reassured.
11: <laughs> About this book, if it is a mistake, I suppose I'll have to return it. But I hate to. What's the penalty for stealing books?
12: Will you stop shoving that book at me. Can't you see I don't want to discuss it? Alan, don't you know by now whose book it is? You even memorized the poem he marked. I told you it wasn't mine. It's, it's his. It's Michael's. He got you, didn't he, Anne? The sweet, gentle boy who loved poetry. He understands you, isn't that what you said?
11: I only memorized it because I thought it was yours.
12: Yes, of course you did. and that, that was very unfair of me. I, I shouldn't take it out on you the way I feel about Mike. Please forgive me.
11: I forgive you, Alan.
12: Well, this is it, Anne. This is Middleburg.
11: Alan, what a lovely old house. Oh, it's a
12: dream. George! We're here, George. George? Just the caretaker, darling. Oh, oh. <laughs> Well, aren't you going to get out of the car? <laughs> now, back there are the stables, mm-hmm. and uh, the orchard's on the other side. Oh. And that Mrs. Foster you met, she lives beyond that stretch of woods there.
11: Alan, you have a dog. Oh,
12: yes, that's that's Bate. I don't think Bate likes me very much. Dogs and horses never do. A uh. Sign of bad character, I guess. <laughs> oh. Hello, Bate.
11: Come here, boy. Hey, now, don't you back away from me. You're supposed to be glad to see me. Come here,
15: dog. What you carrying on like that for? Come back. Well, Mr. Allen. Well, I'm sure glad to see you, sir. That <laughs> beats all right,
12: ma'am. It just ain't used to strangers, that's all. George, this is Mrs. Garroway. Well, I'm glad to
11: you. Glad know to know you, you, George.
12: Place looks fine, George. It's beautifully kept. So neat. <laughs> Thank you, ma'am. You can get the bags out of the car, George. I'll show Mrs. Mm. Garroway through the house. Yes. I've saved the living room for the last, and... Well, here it is.
11: How charming.
12: I suppose it could be. It's a little grim right now. Not
11: grim, darling. A little lonely, perhaps. A little unused. I'll open a shutter. Alan, I've been looking for pictures. I'd like so much to see a picture of your mother.
15: Everything all right,
12: sir? Oh, yes, George. Come in.
11: I- isn't there a picture of your mother somewhere?
12: Well, there used to be men, I, uh, but... I I took them down, Anne. I've stored away most of the personal stuff. Oh, I just... Would you like what? to drive over to Mrs. Foster's? Now? Well, not if you're tired, dear, but I wanted to speak to her about buying a section of those woods we passed.
11: You go ahead, darling. I'll unpack while you're going.
12: All right. I'll be back by dinner time.
11: George. Yes, ma'am? Mr. Galloway hasn't returned yet?
15: No, ma'am. where well, did you have a nice walk?
11: George, I just came from the stables. There was someone there. He, he just about scared me to death.
15: A colored man, ma'am? Uh, big and fat? Yes. I'll teach that old Ben. No, idiot. no,
11: it's all right, George. He went
15: away. Ben, he, he, he's plumb out his head, ma'am. He don't mean no harm. I chase him off, but he just keeps on coming right on back.
11: He kept talking about the horses in the stable.
15: I'll fix you a nice cup of tea, ma'am.
11: No, no, George, wait. He warned me about the black stallion.
15: Oh yes, ma'am. He's a devil that horse. Please don't go near
11: him. He's, Mr. Michael's horse. Ben said.
15: Uh, Yes, ma'am. He he was.
11: I I think I will have that cup of tea, George. Good and strong, please. George, that must be Mr. Garroway. I'll go, man. i I'm in here, darling. Who was it, Anne?
12: Who was just playing that piano?
11: Alan, what... what, Darling, what's the matter? Who was playing that? Well, I was.
12: You? Why did you play that piece? Well, I,
11: I don't know. I play it often. Father taught it to me.
12: Your... Your father taught you that? Yes, he does play the piano. I'd forgotten. That's a piece that anyone might play, mightn't they?
11: Alan, you're ice cold. Tell me what's wrong.
12: My mother died sitting at that piano, playing that piece. You see, Anne, Middleburg is not all happy memories for me.
11: Alan, I'm so sorry.
12: I I didn't mean to upset you, darling.
11: That's all right. I wish I could have known your mother. But finding out that she loved that piece, too, makes me know her a little, doesn't it? That's a bond between us we didn't know about.
12: Yes. Well, I, I guess dinner will be ready soon. I'll go clean up a bit. Oh, uh, bring them in there, George. Yes, sir. I'll uh, fix the cocktails, ma'am.
11: Thank you. George. Yes, ma'am? Mrs. Garroway must have been a wonderful woman.
15: Yes, ma'am, she was.
11: She was an invalid for a number of years, wasn't she?
15: Yes, ma'am. Laid up there in a bed, never complaining. Always smiling.
11: This piano must have been a great comfort to her when she did get up.
15: Piano, ma'am? Well, Miss Garroway never played no piano.
11: She didn't? But she died sitting at that
15: piano, didn't she? No, she died upstairs in her room, ma'am.
12: George, you can serve dinner anytime it's ready. Yes, sir. I'm starving. Be ready just in a minute, sir. Cocktails. We can use these, huh, darling? George's cocktails are the best. Almost good enough for you. Well, to us, darling.
11: Yes, Alan. To us.
14: The stars will return in Act Two of *Undercurrent* in a moment. Libby, you look positively dreamy-eyed. What Prince Charming are you thinking about now?
10: Oh, not a prince, but a king. Charles II of England.
14: Hasn't he been dead since 1685?
10: Yes, but Douglas Fairbanks, Jr. makes his romantic and adventurous exile really come alive in Universal International's new picture, The Exile. Douglas not only stars, but he wrote and produced the picture, too. He had his hair dyed dark for his role as King Charles, and my, he's handsome.
14: Athletic as ever?
10: Oh, yes, indeed, John. You know, he's one of the few Hollywood stars who performs his own stunts for the camera. He had a very narrow escape during the filming when he fell 19 feet to the ground from a windmill. Hmm.
14: I uh, understand there are some beautiful women in the exile, too.
10: Oh, but definitely. There's Miss Maria Montez as the beautiful countess in her most dramatic role to date. And Douglas's own discovery, an absolutely lovely blonde, Miss Paul Croce. Quite a cosmopolitan pair.
14: Maria Montez was born in the Dominican Republic, wasn't she?
10: Yes, mm-hmm. and Paul Croce in Tahiti. She's also lived all over Europe and the Far East. There was a lot of travel talk the day I was visiting them, and a lot of chatter about one thing, how to live out of a suitcase. You'll be interested in this, John. Paul told Maria and me her favorite traveling trick. She always had her maid tuck a box of Luxe Flakes into her suitcase.
14: A tip to any traveler who wants to look fresh from tip to toe.
10: (laughs) Especially down to her stocking toes. Luxing stockings at night is so easy, and nylons dry so quickly, they're ready to put on again in the morning, fresh and smooth-fitting. By luxing stockings frequently, a girl doesn't need to carry so many extras or own so many either.
14: That's right, Libby. Because scientific strain tests prove that nylons last twice as long with Lux. That's just like getting an extra pair every time you buy a pair of stockings. It was really amazing how much more quickly stockings went into runs when they were washed with a strong soap or rubbed with cake soap.
10: Another thing girls like about Lux is the way it keeps nylon stocking colors fresh-looking longer. That's important with the new dark shades that are so smart now.
14: Right, Libby. It's no wonder that so many girls count on Lux flakes to keep stockings lovely longer. Here's William Keeley, your producer, at the microphone.
6: Intermission's over, and it's time for Act Two of Undercurrent, starring Catherine Hepburn as Anne Hamilton and Robert Taylor as Alan Garroway. It's been a strange and troubled 24 hours for Anne Garraway clashing against the peace and loveliness of Middleburg are the tormenting doubts of what Alan has told her, his brother, Michael, his mother. It's after dinner now. Alan has to drive to the village. And when he's gone, Anne has a plan.
12: You sure you don't want to come to the village with me, Anne?
11: Do you mind, darling? I am tired.
12: That uh, telegram this afternoon, it was from John Wormsley. He's in charge of the San Francisco plant. You'll uh, be meeting him soon. Oh, Alan. I'm sorry, darling. If you'd rather stay on here...
11: Oh, no. If you're going to San Francisco, so am I.
12: (laughs) You'll like San Francisco. Well, I won't be long. If you need anything, just call George.
11: George, what is it,
9: Miss Gareway.
11: I said, what is it, George? Nothing, ma'am. N- nothing. What were you afraid of just now? You knew I was in here.
15: No, ma'am. I heard the car drive off, and I, I thought you'd gone too. No lights on in the room here. I, I turned I...
11: them off. Who did you think was in here, George? Who used to sit at this piano and play that piece? Oh,
15: please, Miss Ma'am. It wasn't nobody, ma'am. That's
11: not true. Who did you think it was? Did you think it was Michael? No, ma'am. But Michael did play that piece, didn't he?
15: Oh, Miss Gareway, please don't tell Mr. Allen I was talking about Mr. Michael.
11: I won't tell him, George. How he must hate him. He's tried to take every reminder of Michael out of this house. Erase him completely. No pictures, nothing. George? Yes, sir? Mr. Allen has been terribly hurt. We've got to find a way to help him.
15: Just... just tell me what I can do.
11: There's not much you can do, George. We'll be leaving soon for San Francisco. What has to be done, I must try to do myself.
12: I'm a prized dope, and of all the places to take you, your first night in San Francisco, another nightclub. But
11: you said Mr. Walmsley was to meet you
12: here. Oh, well, I know.
11: Alan, who is that girl, the girl you spoke to as we came in here?
12: Sylvia Burton, an old friend.
11: Just an old friend?
12: <laughs> well, sort of. You jealous? <laughs>
11: <laughs> you bet. She's far too lovely for an old friend.
12: You want to know something? Yeah. You've got it all over, Sylvia, in every way. People wouldn't even notice her with you in the room.
11: Darling, you're wonderful. Catty about every other woman.
12: Good evening. Oh, hello, Wormsley. May I present Mrs. Garroway?
11: How do you do?
4: I, uh, I'm very glad to meet you, Mrs. Garroway. Pull up a chair. How are things going? Very well, sir. Things are really breaking in Seattle. I suggest you fly up there as soon as you can. What's the matter with Henderson? Can't he handle the new business? Well, there's not much he can do without real authority, sir. He has as much authority as you have. Not quite, sir. Anyway, I brought some contracts along. You care to look them over? Do you mind, darling?
11: No, you go ahead and look them over. I'll run into the powder room for a
4: moment. <laughs> I, um... I just saw Miss Burton. Did you? Has your wife met her yet? Those contracts, Wormsley. Let me
12: have
13: them. Oh, hello, Mrs. Garraway. Oh, Miss Burton. How
11: do you like San Francisco? It's wonderful. So many bridges.
13: Yes, so many to cross.
11: I beg your pardon.
13: Um, what do you hear from Michael?
11: Oh, nothing much.
13: Did you ever meet him, Mrs. Garroway? No, I haven't, but I'm looking forward to it. You know, there have been some pretty unpleasant rumors about Michael. Well, whatever they are, I'm sure they're not true. Sorry. It's strange, but I was beginning to have a funny feeling that... Michael might be dead.
11: Oh, no, no, I'm I'm sure Alan would know.
13: Yes, I suppose he would.
11: You know, Miss Burton, when I saw you before, I, I wondered who it was you reminded me of. It's me. Not our features, exactly. Ju- just something intangible. Have you noticed it? No. Is that your glove on the floor there? Oh, thanks. Maybe it's the way we dress or walk or something. Or maybe... Miss Burton... Miss Burton. Why, that's funny. Why should she just walk out like that?
4: Well, what do you think of our plan, Mrs. Garraway?
11: I'm very impressed, Mr. Wormsley.
4: Well, I imagine your husband's in Seattle by now. Is, uh, Is there anything else around here you'd care to see?
11: Yes, I'd like to see some photographs.
4: Photograph? It's
11: silly of me, isn't it? But it's such a big plant now and so impersonal. What was it like when it started, Mr. Wormsley, the plant, the employees? Who was here at the beginning?
4: Well, there's <laughs> a picture on that wall behind you, Mrs. Garraway.
11: Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Oh, there's Alan. Alan in the overalls. Th- and you, Mr. Wormsley. Yes. But those other three men?
4: Well, two of them are still with us. The other ones dead.
11: Who was he, Mr. Wormsley?
4: His name was Carl Stoyer.
11: Wasn't my husband's brother working here then? Why isn't he in the picture?
4: He was at his ranch the day it was taken.
11: His ranch? Oh, oh yes. What's happened to the ranch?
4: Well, Mr. Garroway took it over.
11: Alan owns it. You know, I'd like to see that place.
4: I'm afraid that's not very practical. It's, uh, it's quite remote. Fog is bad this time of year. There is a caretaker. But,
11: but I'd, I'd like to spend the day in the country. Could you give me the keys, Mr. Walmsley?
4: I'll send them to your hotel in the morning.
11: And would it be possible to draw me a sort of map as to how to get there?
4: I'll enclose a map with the keys.
11: You've been very kind, Mr. Wormsley. Thank
9: you.
4: Good day, Mrs. Garroway. You
7: looking for someone, miss? Oh,
11: oh. <laughs> Hello. I'm Mrs. Alan Garraway. How do you do? Are you the caretaker?
7: I, uh... Yes, yes.
11: I've just been inspecting the house.
7: Well, I I was just about to leave, but if there's anything I can do for you...
11: Tell me, did you know Michael Garraway?
7: Yes, I did. I'm a close neighbor up the road.
11: He left here very suddenly, didn't he?
7: Yes.
11: I guess he was a rather unpredictable person. Well, (laughs) well, anyway, I... I think this is one of the most charming houses I've ever seen. It has... Well, dignity. Doesn't look as though it had been shut up at all, does it?
7: No. No, it doesn't.
11: It looks, well, as though it were waiting for someone. I had a feeling coming in here that time was standing still.
7: But time doesn't stand still anywhere, does it?
11: Oh, yes, it does. Haven't you ever had a feeling of complete peace and contentment? That's what I felt when I came in here. Nothing to fear. Nothing to think about. This was... Well, peaceful. And time stands still. (laughs) You probably think that's foolish. I suppose it is.
7: No, I don't think so. I agree with you about the house. It is peaceful.
11: Is that surf, I hear? Are we that close to the ocean?
7: Yes, if you like, I'll show it to you. It's none of my business, Mrs. Garroway, but... Did you have any special reason to come out here?
11: Well, it was such a nice day, and I thought I... No. I came out here to learn more about Michael Garroway.
7: You, uh, you better watch the path. It's sort of rocky here.
11: Everyone seems to be so vague about him, except my husband, of course. I don't know why I'm bothering you with all this.
7: There's the ocean, Mrs. Garroway.
11: Golly. Golly, it's beautiful, isn't it? You know, you know, it's amazing. Michael had so much... Why do people do the things they do to themselves? Why doesn't someone step in and stop them, help them?
7: What about those people who refuse to be helped? Useless to even try.
11: Oh, no, it's not. It's never useless. Not if your chance of helping them is one in a million.
7: You feel quite deeply about it, don't you?
11: You bet I do. Why, that sea is near. Is there good swimming?
7: No, there's a rip there's a riptide.
11: But it looks so calm. You
7: can't always see the undercurrent, but it's there.
11: Like life. <laughs>
7: Yes, that's right. Well, the fog's starting to roll in. It'll be getting dark soon. You going back to the house?
11: Yes, in a minute. You you go ahead. Thanks for taking me around, and forgive my philosophic outburst.
7: Don't apologize for that. I think it was very well said. Goodbye, Mrs. Galloway.
11: His house, Michael's house, just as he left it. But walls can't talk, and books, and chairs, and...
12: What are you doing here? Alan! What are you doing
11: here? Alan, you frightened me so... I
12: came here looking for something. <clears throat> I asked you not to pry. I asked you to forget about Mike.
11: Alan, you didn't leave Seattle just before.
12: Because... telephoned me. He said you'd ask him for the keys. Yes, I thought it was important that I come. You're my wife, Ann. You've never even seen Mike. And yet he's managed to get a hold on you and make trouble between us. Darling,
11: I'm only he trying to...
12: He diabolic cleverness about pushing people around. Always knew how to get his own way. You
11: keep saying had and knew. Alan, is he dead? How should
12: I know if he's dead? I hope he is. Alan, how can How you much know? do you think I can stand? He's got you sneaking around corners trying to find out things about him. Well, what have you discovered? I'm here to help. Let's find out everything we can about him. A man who likes music and books, wouldn't you say? The strong, silent, philosophical type... He'd have read you poetry and told you whimsical stories about his neighbors. You'd have fallen for that, wouldn't you, Anne?
11: Alan, I'm sorry. I
12: know you're sorry, but that doesn't help. Why couldn't you do as I asked? If there's anything else you want to know, ask me now. Don't ask Wormsley or the natives or the bellboys at the hotel. Ask me. I'll tell you anything if you'll only stop bringing him into our life.
11: I was wrong to come here, Alan, if you didn't want me to. But for you to shout at me and treat me as though I were a criminal. Alan, whatever I did, I did for us. To try to find out what it is that comes between us because of him. Alan, it's our life together that he's hurting. Our marriage. And I want our marriage.
12: We'd better start back to town. Do you want to go up to our rooms, Anne, or would you rather have dinner first?
11: I'd rather go up, if you don't mind. I'd like to. Alan, wait. What's the matter? Listen. Listen.
13: Oh, Garaway's shrewd all right. His plan was all set for reconversion. Garaway knows all about reconversion. Did you ever see his wife... Anne, please. No,
11: I want to listen. I saw her in
13: Washington the day they arrived. She couldn't have looked out yet. Of course, the poor girl had on her Sunday
9: best, but really...
11: We can go up now, Alan.
12: What are you thinking about, Anne? Those two women in the lobby? You going to let a couple of gossips throw you?
11: I'm thrown by the truth. I was rather dowdy that first night in Washington. You expected me to be, didn't you? I, what? You could have waited to have me meet your friends. But the truth is, if no one saw the before, you wouldn't get the credit for the after, would you? Why should I want to do a thing like that? So you could exhibit me as your very own invention, like the Garraway distance control. What do you mean by that? You know, Alan... I think I have a glimmering now of why you married me. I want to know what
12: you meant about the distance control.
11: I meant nothing about it.
12: All right. What else do you think? Why did I marry you?
11: You wanted another girl, but she fell in love with someone else. I happened to remind you of her, only I was so terribly admiring of you. And you thought if you could make me outshine her... you're mad, Anne. Yes, Alan. I think sometimes I am. I have a feeling as though I were living in a dream... Haunted by your obsession, your hatred for your brother
10: all around
12: us. Anne, Anne, things between us look pretty black right now. It's hard to talk. But I want to tell you that that I love you. The way I acted at the ranch was unforgivable. I'll never speak that way to you again. I have to go back to Seattle. You'll have a couple of days to think. And when you do, try to keep a little old-fashioned trust and blind faith in our marriage... I want our marriage, too, and it's very important to me. Please try.
11: Yes, Alan. I'll try.
4: We pause
14: now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
6: In a moment, we'll return with Act Three of Undercurrent. The role of a script girl in producing a great picture is seldom fully appreciated by the public. Her meticulous attention to detail is of the utmost importance to a successful production. Our guest tonight is one of those unsung heroines. She's Miss Isla Jacobus, script girl for Clarence Brown, producer-director of Song of Love. Metro-Golden-Mare's romantic love story of Clara and Robert Schumann, starring Catherine Hepburn. It must have been a fascinating picture to work on, Mr. Jacobus.
5: It certainly was, Mr. Keeley. I learned so much about the life of Schumann, and the music in the picture is so thrilling.
6: With Paul Henry to interpret the sensitive and celebrated composer, Robert Walker as Johannes Brahms, Henry Daniel as Franz Liszt, and a brilliant supporting cast... It's bound to be a superb picture.
5: Especially with Catherine Hepburn as Schumann's devoted wife... who inspired some of his greatest music.
6: Well, Catherine brings glamour and rare ability to every role. Her performance here tonight confirms that.
5: She looks stunning, too, in Song of Love... in Clara Schumann's romantic 19th century costumes. And Mr. Kennedy would certainly have been impressed... with the gentle care those costumes got.
14: You mean luxe care, of course, Mr. (laughs) Cobus?
5: Naturally. Replacing one of those costumes would have meant a lot of time and expense. So, when a garment had to be freshened for retakes, they always used Lux flakes. And the studio wardrobe mistress told me that kept replacements down to a minimum.
14: You must learn a lot of interesting things in the course <laughs> of your work, Mr. Cobus.
5: But none more important than clothes care, Mr. Kennedy. Important to any girl, I mean. I wouldn't trust my own blouses and nice washables to anything but Lux. I figure... When experts choose Lux Flakes, it's wise to follow their advice.
14: Yes, the experts know how much longer Lux Care keeps washables lovely. Actual tests have proved that wrong washing methods fade colors discouragingly soon. <clears throat> Lux Care kept them lovely up to three times as long.
5: That's important to any girl these days when prices of new things are so high.
14: Today, more than ever, Lux Care is thrifty care. Thank you for coming tonight, Miss Isla Jacobus. Back now to our producer, William Keeley.
6: We continue with Act Three of Undercurrent, starring Catherine Hepburn as Anne and Robert Taylor as Alan. It's the following morning. With Alan back in Seattle, Anne is making an uninvited call on Sylvia Burton.
11: It's very nice of you to see me, Miss Burton.
13: You have a reason for coming here?
11: There are some questions I'm trying to find the answer to.
13: I'm rather curious about a few things myself. As far as Alan is concerned, I despise him. Does that answer one of your questions? Not quite. I love him. But it's not Alan
11: I want to know about. It's Michael. I can imagine. All I know is that he and Alan had a terrible fight. Michael disappeared. But he seems to be coming up more and more in our lives, wherever we go, whatever we do. I've got to know more about him. My marriage, my... my
13: happiness my
11: future seemed to depend on it
13: and you'd like to know how close mike and i were well we weren't i tried but mike wouldn't have it i used to think it was because he had some sort of funny sense of loyalty since i'd met him through alan he was that thing you have to look for with a microscope a gentleman and that's the man your husband spread those lies about stealing money i believe my husband miss burton nonsense you think he's lying i know he is why because i've been through this myself when Mike disappeared, I went crazy trying to find out what had happened to him. And
11: did you find out?
13: Only that he'd been at his ranch. That was the last anyone saw of him except your husband. You see, I still think Mike is dead.
11: You mean he was killed in the war?
13: No, I don't mean he was killed in the war. Why hasn't he written to someone? His friends at the plant, his neighbors at the ranch, or a hundred other people he knows. Lots of us would like to know what happened at that last meeting Mrs. Garraway. Ask your husband... What kind of a fight was it and what happened to Mike? How dare you speak to me this way, Miss Burton? I I should never have come here. Forgive me. It isn't such a shocking idea, Mrs. Garroway. Not when you've lived with it for a while. Hello? Mrs. Alan Garroway? Yes? One moment, please. Seattle is calling. Yes,
0: your party, sir. Anne?
11: Yes, Alan.
12: Oh, Anne, I miss you, darling. I miss you very much. I haven't been able to think or concentrate on anything but you.
11: I'm I'm so glad you said that, Alan. I'm so confused, uh, I, Don't, I'm...
12: darling, don't, don't. Anne, I, I have to leave for Baltimore in the morning. I can't very well get out of it.
11: That's all right, Alan.
12: I think it could work out well for us. If you like, you could go on to Middleburg, take the train. By the time you get there, I'll be through in Baltimore and can join you.
11: Yes, Alan, yes.
12: I'm going to devote the next few weeks to us, Sam. We'll have a real honeymoon in Middleburg. You wait and see. I love you, Ann. I love you.
15: I wish I'd known you was coming to Middleburg, Miss Garwick. I wish you'd told
11: me. Why, George, I don't think you're very glad to see me.
15: Oh, no, ma'am, no, no. I'm real pleased. Please. When will Mr. Allen be here?
11: He'll be here later tonight. George, why do you wish I'd let you know I was coming here?
15: Well, just, just, just so I'd have a little time to fix things up.
11: Such as out there, George, out there by the stables? A little time to tell whoever it is out there to go away?
15: Miss Garraway, There's nobody out there, Miss Gareway.
11: I don't mean old Ben either. Just now, when I was walking, the dog saw him. Bate saw him. Bate was all excited, jumping up and down and wagging his tail.
15: But you didn't see nobody, ma'am. No,
11: no, I didn't. It was too dark, and I, I was frightened, I suppose. I came straight back here.
15: Oh, let it pass, please, Mrs. Gareway. Let it pass.
11: I can't, George. I'm not frightened now. I'm going to go back to the stables and look for myself.
9: <coughs>
11: Bate. Bate, come here. Come here, boy. Come here. There's no one here now, is there, Bate? But there was, and you saw him, didn't you? You saw Michael. He's alive, isn't he? I thought that Sylvia Burton was right, that Alan had killed him. But everything that Alan said about him is true. Michael's here, and he's hiding. That's why, George... Oh, Alan, Alan, how could I? How could I?
12: Right, Bait, you can stop barking. It's no way to welcome me home. Hello, Alan. Mike.
7: Take it easy. Better keep our voices down. Your wife's in the house. You've seen my wife. Don't worry, she didn't see me. Why did you come back? Wouldn't you rather know why I went away? I didn't steal any money, Alan. You've been a long time denying it. It'd be kind of tough to prove. You had the books pretty well rigged. But that's not what kept me away. It was Carl Stoyer. Stoyer's dead. Yes. Dead and buried. Just a nice old German refugee who lived for one thing only. To get back at the Nazis. You remember that invention he was working on? Every man at the plant was working on an invention of some kind or other. That's right. But only Stoyer died. The coroner said it was an accident. He fell down the cellar steps. What's that got to do with me? It's got a lot to do with you. Stoyer had a pet name for that invention of his... His fan, he called it. He used to say, my fan will fix the Nazis. Your brother and me, we know. Someday my fan will pay them back. Fan. Fan, I I couldn't figure it out until it dawned on me that fan is a German word. It means distance. Fan stirring. Long distance control. That's why Stoya died. He was murdered by somebody who wanted his invention. The distance controller was mine. It was Stoyer's, and it's made millions for you. Well, has the money been worth it, Alan? Has it been worth killing for? You can't prove any of this. Maybe not. Is Wormsley the only other one who guessed? Because you're paying him off, aren't you? Anyway, I I wanted to get out of the whole mess. That's why I disappeared. It seems it has to be faced after all. I have met your wife Here? Today? No, at the ranch She thought I was the caretaker She's a fine girl, Ellen But she doesn't know about Stoyer, does she? Well, I'm here to make sure she finds out You think I killed Stoya? What makes you think
12: I wouldn't kill you? I believe you're capable of trying No Once I could have killed you, but not now I can't kill you any more than I can give Ann up I'm going to keep her, Mike, for as long as I can. A minute, an hour, as long as I can. How can you think you have a right? What gives a man a right? Does love? Because I love her. You can take everything else but not her, Mike, not her. I I never thought I would, but I'm crawling to you. She loves me. She's helping me. I've got a chance now. I can be all right. I never could before. What chance does she have, Alan? I'll tell her. Only I... I'll have to do it my own time. Just a little time, that's all I'm asking. Until I'm sure of her. I think
7: you can be sure of her. Well, I... I guess there's nothing left for me to do. She'll go along with you, I'll stay out of it. But tell her, Alan. Tell her, because if you don't, I won't be able to stay out of it. I'm going to see that she gets her chance, too.
12: Anne, Anne darling. Wake up, dear, I'm
9: back.
11: Alan. Oh, Alan, Alan, oh, forgive me, darling. Forgive me.
9: Forgive
11: you? I've been so wrong, Alan. I've got to tell you something, and I'm I'm so deeply ashamed. I I thought such crazy things about you. I I thought you'd killed your brother. No, darling, listen to me. I thought that. And I was going away and never see you again.
12: You were going to leave me?
11: I couldn't have stayed. I couldn't have endured. You couldn't
12: have endured living with a murderer.
11: But it's all over, Alan. I know he's alive. I'm able to breathe again.
12: Yes, Anne, it's it's over. No one will ever come between us again.
11: Alan, I want you to listen to me. You remember that I once told you that Michael was your obsession? Yes. I was wrong. I think he's my obsession. I want to drive him away. But there's there's something unfinished somehow. I think if I could see him, hear him speak, then I'd, I'd know him the way you do. As a man, not a shadow. Someone who is cruel and wrong and who has hurt you. Oh, I was so wrong about him. Everyone was.
12: Everyone? Who did you speak to about Mike?
11: Sylvia Burton. She thought you had killed him.
12: And you believed her? Were you glad she was wrong? Glad,
11: oh yes, Alan, yes.
12: Then why are you unhappy? Well,
11: that's what I'm trying to tell you. He... he's still here in 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 my mind somehow you you've got to help me Alan i don't understand it do you understand
12: yes i think i do you're in love with him no you're in love with him aren't you oh
11: no no how could i be in love with someone i've never seen
12: you've seen a lot of mike a book a poem his house a girl who once loved him aren't you jealous Anne of sylvia burton why did you go to her what did you really want to know
9: alan please You'd go to
12: anyone who could talk about mike you wanted to believe what they had to tell you. You never believed me. You don't believe me now. Stop
11: it, Alan. Stop it. It
12: wasn't my happiness, our happiness. You were trying to find it was him. That's not true. You were so relieved just now, not because I hadn't killed him, but because he was alive. You'll go on looking for him, won't you, Anne? And after you find him, then what? Will you leave me?
0: Alan, Alan.
12: Don't you see what you've done? You'll never leave me, Anne. Never.
9: George. George. Good morning,
12: Anne. You're up G- early. George. You sleep well. George is gone. I sent him into town. He won't be back until evening.
11: Alan, Alan, Noah. I, I
12: thought I'd go for a ride. That stallion will break down the stall unless he gets some exercise. I, th- I thought we could. Uh... Why are you trembling? Anne? Here, sit down. Have some coffee. Alan, I don't be afraid, Anne. Fear's no good. I know, but now I'm finally free. Drink your coffee, Anne. <laughs> your hand's shaking. You're not going to be afraid the rest of your life, are you, Anne? Are you? Why run to your room? You can't lock yourself in. I've got the key. Hey
0: there. Anyone up?
12: Oh, hello, Mrs. Foster. Come in.
0: Hello, Alan. Your wife up yet?
12: Yes, I think so. Shall I
0: call her? Well, it's a fine morning for a ride. Yes, it is. You must have had the same idea. You're dressed for it. Yes, I... Oh, there you are. Welcome home, my dear. How about coming over for breakfast and a ride? I, I'd like to very much. Wonderful. I'll expect you in half an hour. How's that? But I, I can be ready in just a moment. Well, Biscuits sure. for breakfast, Mrs. Foster? With my own two hands.
11: And
12: just wait till you taste them. There's nothing like them in the whole world.
0: Mrs. Foster, there's something I must tell you. I must speak to you. That's fine, dear. We'll have a leisurely breakfast and all morning to get acquainted in.
12: See you soon, but dear. I'll walk along with you, Mrs. Foster. I'll have to saddle up the horses.
0: What's the matter with the bride, Ellen? A quarrel?
12: Not a quarrel, exactly.
0: Oh, don't worry. It's natural, the first year, getting acquainted. What horse are you going to ride, Alan? The stallion, naturally. Well, you just make sure you don't give him to her. He's a mean one, that brute. Alan. Alan, did we have to come
11: this way?
12: Can't you handle your horse? I gave you the mare. But
11: I'm not a good rider, Alan. This cliff.
12: Why, I thought if we took the trail along the cliff, you'd enjoy the view. It's beautiful, isn't it?
9: Alan, keep your horse back, please.
12: It's easy to say. I can't hold him in. But
9: there's no room for both of us. Yeah,
12: it is now, isn't it? Quite a drop to the gorge, Ann. Two hundred oh, feet.
9: Alan, you're pushing me! Use your
12: spurs. Go on ahead. Alan,
9: Alan, please don't, please don't. You please. want to leave
12: me, Ann, don't you? You want to go to Michael? Well, I'll send you to him now.
9: Oh, no, no.
12: And you little fool. Go on, run away. See how far you'll get. Ann, what happened? Did your horse uh, throw you? It's quite a bruise on your uh, head, or did you hit a low branch? Oh. Uh, hurts, doesn't it, Anne? Uh, nothing is going to hurt you anymore. Michael. I'm going to kill you, Anne. <coughs> They'll think you broke your stupid little neck with
0: your horse. <coughs> Hello. Hello, doctor. This is Mrs. Foster. It has been a terrible accident. Alan Galloway is dead. That stallion of his must have gone crazy or something. Kicked him to death, it looks like. You better come right out, Doctor. His wife's been badly hurt, too. That music's beautiful, Anne. Who's playing?
11: My father. He always does well by
0: Chopin. I like your father, Anne. I'm so glad he was able to come down here. So am I, Mrs. Foster. You're all right, Anne. Staying on here at Middleburg all these weeks, doing are getting well here. It took courage to face it out. Most people would have run away. Hard to run away in a wheelchair. <laughs> Dr. Hill says by next week you can burn that wheelchair. But that isn't what I mean.
11: That's not what I mean either. No, I feel I have something to do and that I must do it here. That's really why I stayed. Not because I have courage. I
4: haven't. Here you are, darling. One of George's priceless eggnogs. Father. Well? Uh,
11: who's playing the piano?
4: You have a visitor. Oh,
11: no, no. I can't see him now. I'm not ready yet. I can't.
4: You sent for him, man? Yes, I sent for him. I'll wheel you in.
11: I can manage alone. Thanks. <laughs> You're Michael, aren't you?
7: I'm sorry, Anne. I I should have told you that day at the ranch.
11: I think I knew. Not at the ranch, but afterwards. I think I knew.
7: You sent for me? Yes. I think I'd have come in any case. I was just waiting until you were well.
11: It seems I'm a a very rich woman. Yes. It's wrong for me to have it. It belongs to you, Michael. No.
7: No, it belongs to someone who's dead now. Carl Stoyer. His heirs, possibly.
11: They must have it then michael i'm a bad liar i didn't send for you because of the money the lawyers could have handled that i wanted to know you now that you do i'm happy to know you michael thank you there are other things that i must tell you i i won't forget alan i i loved him very much not at the end it was gone then But I... I did love him. I know.
7: Anne, I almost got you killed. I was here the night before. I saw Alan, talked to him. I should never have left.
11: I looked for you, Michael.
7: I went away that night because... because I was full of my guilt about my feelings for you. I... I had no business to feel the way I did about you, my... my brother's wife. I won't talk about it now, Someday.
11: Yes, Michael.
2: And that was Catherine Hepburn and Robert Taylor in Undercurrent from the Lux Radio Theatre. Great stuff. Do check out the film, it's a real odd one but definitely worth watching. Let's zip on over to Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend to see if you nailed the identity of today's mystery star. Mr.
8: Kovac, did you do a picture, the title of which became and was, uh, was at that time a, a great song and became a very famous song?
9: Yes. 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 Uh, uh, uh,
8: uh, 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 please. That's no a hint, John. No She's Nazi. just given a hint, this girl on my right. That's right, Miss Kim Are you Gene Tierney? Gene
2: Tierney, right. Yes, it was the amazing Gene Tierney. Did you get it? I'm sure you did. Well, that is all we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll be taking a slight break from Atterboy Clans for the next couple of weeks so that I can work on the new Secret History of Hollywood episode. Yes, Carrie is almost with you. I'll still be making the weekly bonus editions of this show for patrons, though, so if you're signed up there, then you'll be hearing from me as usual. Patrons will also be getting carry long before anyone else gets it. If you're not a patron, then sign up now. It's very simple to do so, and you'll get instant access to hundreds of bonus materials, including reviews commentaries blueprints episode film club nights each week you know the drill go to www.patreon.com slash attaboysecret or use the link in the show notes of this episode or if you've just forgotten what i've said listen on to the end of this show i'll be back with you soon then but until then take very good care of yourselves and bye for now If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews and e-books, and every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now.
10: Find Face Off
9: wherever you get your podcasts.